0: It's kind of cool sometimes when uh, um, you get out of here and then you get to hang out with your college friends. And uh, two people I get to hang out with every summer, some college friends, Jeff and Ariana Ecker. In fact, Jeff's going to be speaking this morning. And as good as a speaker he is, the reason why um, we want people like Jeff and Ariana on our campus is because how godly of people they are. They lead an incredible movement of prayer across this nation, and they're dedicated to investing in the next generation of people, those in middle school, high school, and you. And so it is such an honor and a privilege to have great pastors and innovators in the prayer movement all across our nation here on our campus this morning. And so um, we're going to watch a quick video that talks about what they're doing on Claim Your Campus, which is a movement that's spreading across America in amazing ways even you can be involved in, even as college students. So in a minute, we'll welcome them, but right now, take a look at this video.
1: So this will be my fourth summer with NTS as a site director. Starting with day one, I felt like the staff of NTS and the volunteers of NTS poured into me.
0: We've all, as, as youth workers have been to an event or a retreat or even a camp where all the weight was on the youth pastor's back and we, we would spend an entire week exhausted,
1: barely see our students. That's the difference with NTS camp. I felt energized that week. The teaching team at, at NTS is such a fun thing to be a part of. The intentionality that goes in months and months and months before the students ever show up to a campus. The ideas, the content, the the dreaming, the ways that the teachers are able to connect and share notes and resources,
0: the way that they're praying, even though you might be teaching at one site, your ideas are being shared all across all of these campuses across the country, impacting all these students, and you feel like you're a part of a team.
1: I'm super competitive, so I love the team comps, but when it came down to it, I really, really loved the small group time, um, to have that safe group again, just to be open with and grow together, which they might not be able to do at school or back home or whatever. Thank you for what you've done and letting us come out of our shells and make new friends and everything. Honestly, Austin is such, he's, he's an insanely good leader. He's led me through darkness, he's led others through sin and darkness and temptation. And I don't think he gives himself enough credit, but he's really, honestly I don't think any of us would be where we are without him. Hello, it so quiet, you okay? Are you awake? Are you sure? I wore a tie for you today, so be impressed. Yeah, thank you for the applause for the tie. How many freshmen here do we have by chance? Let me hear from the freshmen, just make a little noise. Let me hear you. Okay, very cool, you're here. Everybody's got straight A's so far, right? Because you don't have any tests, hopefully, yet. So everybody's okay. How about people that have been to NTS camp before? Just let me hear from you, if you've been to NTS camp. Let me hear from, very cool. Now here's the deal, I'm going to hang around a little bit today, and so I'd like to have lunch with anybody that would like to have lunch with a guy in a tie in the Teeter Cafe. So around noon, if you want to hang out, I'd love to just talk to you, hear your story, see you, say hello. Some of you I know, it'd be cool. And uh, how many of you here have a secret uh, question in your mind about whether or not your roommate is actually going to change their sheets before Christmas? Raise your hand. Because if you raise your hand, it won't be secret anymore. And, uh, you know, my senior year, we had this just sick, twisted game of chicken about who was going to last the longest with changing their sheets. And I'm not going to tell you who won, but uh, I did pretty well, I must say. It's good to be here. I love Indiana Wesleyan. I'm a graduate of here, as Charlie mentioned. Charlie mentioned that we were college friends. Actually, Charlie's way older than me. Just so you know, we're not the same age. He wasn't here when I was here, but that's okay. And uh, I'm going to start off with a confession today to you about what we're going to talk about in this passage of Scripture we're going to look at. Because in different speaking engagements I get asked to do, sometimes, you know, I'll go back and find a message I'm really comfortable with that I've given a lot and I feel confident about. And I don't feel that way today. In fact, when I first was asked to do this chapel many months ago, this passage came to mind. And I've kind of ignored it, this this thing that God's been doing in my life. And I thought, eh, I'm just going to go back to something I normally do, you know, and just be comfortable with what I've done before. And this kept coming up over and over. In fact, up until last week, and I sent in all this information that's been inputted into slides that we're not going to use because... I've I've just felt so convicted to share this message today. So I bring it with a little bit of fear and trembling because this message I feel pretty confident that God has for us today. And then when I found out that the theme for chapels was my story, it began to make a little bit of sense to me because this parable that I'm going to share with you that Jesus told in Matthew 13 has probably changed me In the past few years, more than any passage I can remember. In fact, I think about this passage almost every day, and it's a passage that I've never heard a sermon on before. And I'm wondering, maybe it's not that great of a parable that it deserves a sermon. Maybe that's why I haven't heard it. And I know that's not the case but we're gonna talk about it today. And I'll just tell you briefly the beginning part of my story. My story has been that I was raised in a home with God-fearing parents and raised in in a faith system and belief growing up and at a young age, gave my life to Christ and surrendered my life to him. But until recently, I wouldn't have described myself this way until I believed that God used this passage to unfold some things in my own life. And that is I'm a very, Positive person, I'm very optimistic. But I found in my conviction that I felt like what God spoke to me was you're a positive person, but you're a negative Christian. Your outlook on life has been negative. Your outlook in life has, has been uh, more like a, a defeatist, like maybe I'm not on the winning side. And it was hard for me to really admit that. But one of the things that brought this to mind for me was years ago in seminary, in an adolescent youth ministry class, I was asked this question by my professor. And they made us answer this question by dividing the room up, yes or no. And the question was something like this, is the spiritual environment for students today better than it was 30 years ago? And you had to answer yes or no, and you couldn't be in the middle. And I found myself kind of like, well, automatically, no, things aren't better today. They're probably a lot worse than they are because i found myself thinking about all the things I grew up believing and knowing and being surrounded with and this idea that things are always progressively getting worse and worse and I don't know if you can relate to this or not but I felt like all my life i have just expecting things to get worse and worse instead of better and better and that's where the negativity comes in and so when I was Confronted with that question, it really threw me into a loop. Like, what do I do with this? Do I really believe as a follower of Jesus and his teachings about how the kingdom of God is growing in this world in exponential ways? How can I find myself being on the negative side of the equation? And I want you to think about conversations maybe that you've had with fellow Christ followers about some of these same things. When you ask them about their view of the future, is it a pessimistic view? Now I wanna be realistic, there's definitely some incredible challenge that, that we face as people of God in this world because we know that we're, we're in the world but we're not of it. Scripture says that we're strangers and aliens. It describes us as people that are on this pilgrim journey that, that's different from most people. It's a narrow road that we're on going a different direction. But as you talk to people, What do you find? What I've found is for me in the last few years being in different circles, some in Washington, D.C., meeting with with representatives, senators, people in, in places of power, in Congress, to students across the country, to parents, to college campuses, and all these different environments. I've found that generally, if I could generalize, most Christians I know in America, they have a pessimistic view Of the future. And I've wondered why this is. Maybe it's the influence of the media on our worldview. I think sometimes it might be hard for us to admit that we our worldview is shaped more by the world than it is the word. And so when we watch the news, it's negative. But when we look to the word of God, we find truth, we find hope. So this parable, Jesus told in Matthew 13. And I'll read it for you. And we don't have it on the screen, so just stick with me. If you're in the balcony, please stay awake. All right? And here's what Jesus has to say Jesus told them another parable. This is in Matthew 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and he sowed seeds among the wheat and he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said sir didn't you sow good seed in your field where then did the weeds come from and the owner replies an enemy did this he replied the servants asked him what do you want us to go and pull them up no he answered because while you are pulling the weeds you may uproot the wheat with them let both grow together until the harvest and at that time i will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now let's stop here for a minute and just try to capture what's going on in this parable. Jesus is telling this series of parables in this part of Matthew. He tells the parable about four soils earlier on. And he's, he's telling these parables about what the kingdom of God is like. And so he's saying, the kingdom of God is like this field. And the, and the servants went out and the owner went out and he sowed good seed in this field. And then all of a sudden, after some time goes by, the workers of the field notice that it's not just the wheat that was, that was sown into the ground, but there are weeds that are growing up. And this is what would happen quite often in those times. If you had an enemy and you wanted to really, you know, stick it to them, you would go in sometime when they weren't looking at night maybe. And you would plant or you would throw seeds that were weeds into their field, which would destroy their crops, which would destroy their way of life and their way of living. So when the owner finds this out, he goes, well, an enemy did this. Now, they could relate to this because they, I'm sure, have seen this happen before. But then he says, you know what? When they say, well, do you want us to go and pull these weeds up? He goes, no, leave them. Let them grow together. And at the very end, when we harvest everything, we'll get it all. Now, we have the, the privilege here of having some commentary about this parable by Jesus. Later on, when the crowd left, in verse 36, it says this. The crowd left, and he left the crowd, and he went into the house, and the disciples came to him, and they asked, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. So Matthew finds it pertinent to throw this in, and he says, okay, I'll explain to you the parable of the weeds, and here's how he answered. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. In the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So, Jesus here explains this idea that the harvesters are the angels, the good seed, the wheat, are the people of God, those of us that are followers of Jesus in this world, and the weeds are the people they're sown by our enemy, the devil. And I just want to give you a couple observations and some things as. They have changed my life as I've thought about this passage and I've thought about my story. And the first thing is I noticed that Jesus says that there are good. He describes the seeds and the wheat, which represents us as good, good people doing good things in the kingdom. Jesus could have described it lots of other ways, but he said that this is good seed. These are good people. These are good things that are happening and I've thought about how many times I've looked at the church today, and myself, and people I know, and ever, have, do, is my first thought that it's full of good people. I found that a lot of times for me when I look at the church, I tend to see the negative, I tend to see the bad, I tend to see the things that are wrong, and in our ever increasingly cynical world, you know, all it takes is a couple minutes to go online and just find a YouTube video or an article and just start going through the comments and I've joked with friends that sometimes I find more entertainment looking through the comments than I do the actual video or the articles but when you go through the comments there's so much hatred isn't there do you see this and we live in this world that's ever seems to be increasing with with people that are that are spewing things these things out and I wonder if we ever have anything good to say about the church these days and I was reminded of this as I pulled up my social media feed a few months ago. And I don't remember the exact title of the article, but it was something like this. I saw a young Christian leader post this article, and all you saw on the feed was just the title. And that's kind of all I needed to see. And the title was something like, Five Ways I'm Protecting My Children from the Church. And, I, and my heart sank, and I thought to myself... If this person's a follower of Jesus, which they say they are, what kind of publicity are they giving to the rest of us as the church? Obviously, this young leader's view of the church was very negative, and it was painful for me to click on this link and to read what this leader had to say. Who was a pastor who wanted to protect his children from the influence of the church, and I thought to myself, wow. What a destructive thing to throw out to the world to see. What about our friends that are online looking at these things? What do they think about the church if they're not following Jesus? What if they have serious questions about some of the things that we do or who we are, and then this article, just by seeing the title, maybe confirms a myth in them that the church really isn't all that it's supposed to be. And I ask you today, do you see goodness in the church? Do you see all the good things that are happening? Because there are a lot of good things happening in the kingdom of God. And I'm excited as I get a bird's eye view, as I look across the country, as I get to travel and see things from a different perspective that I haven't ever seen before. And I see these amazing things that God is doing, raising up students in this prayer movement of claim your campus and in college campuses and these college prayer movements are happening all over the country, revivals that are breaking out, particularly amongst young people all across the United States and all across the world. And yet sometimes we miss those things. I noticed that the weeds and the wheat are to be left together. When Jesus tells this parable, he says, We're going to keep these things together. Jesus is saying, as I thought about this this parable and why he would want us to know this, he's saying, listen, there's going to be weeds around your life, so get used to it. That may sound like a very negative thing to say, just kind of ironic in light of what we've been talking about, but for you, can you think of some weeds in your life? You know, Jesus uh, tells parables throughout this section about how the kingdom of God starts really small, like a seed or a little bit of yeast and dough, and it grows exponentially. And I find myself wondering, you know, what is our role as wheat, as good seed in this world? What are we meant to do? Well, if you know of any weeds in your life, you might be thinking of someone in particular. Sometimes wouldn't it be nice to just have the power to To pluck someone out of your life that was just a pain? No, yes. Let's be honest. It would be nice sometimes, right? Maybe that roommate that you got stuck with that you're wondering like, why are they up at two in the morning? Maybe the person that annoys you at work, there's that jerk at work, you know, that you don't like, nobody seems to get along with. Maybe that person that just really seems to have it out for you and you don't know why. And sometimes it's like, doesn't have anything to do with me. Like, why is this person against me? Why can't they just go away? You know, maybe it's you. Maybe it's your bad breath or something. Maybe you should check that. You know, the worst situation is to be in a place where you feel like there's this conflict in your life and it's in a person of authority above you. You know, there are times in life when it gets tough and one of the toughest things is when someone is in this place of authority and they seem to be this weed in your life that you can't get rid of and you can't get away from and especially if this person has authority over you it's really tough maybe it's jealousy selfishness for whatever reason I think about David in the old testament he was in maybe one of the most challenging situations you could be in because The king over the nation of Israel, Saul, was out to get David, and David had to grow up into this. It was a difficult place for him. He was so jealous that he was trying to do everything he could, Saul was, to sabotage David. Now, if you think you've had a bad day at work with your boss, David showed up one day and Saul tried to pin him against the wall with a spear and kill him. So, you know, if that doesn't happen to you, maybe it's not so bad. You know, David had it kind of rough. But you notice when you look at David's life, you don't see him complaining about it. You don't see him trying to get out of this situation as much as he's trying to figure out how to keep honoring God with this person in his life. And think about in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, when he writes all these letters to the churches. And he actually writes a lot of his prayers and how he's been praying. them. we can learn so much about prayer. And the Apostle Paul is writing to people that had some really difficult times, sometimes financially, culturally, going up against, you know, the Roman Empire, which was totally against Christianity. At times when Christians were literally dying and giving their lives, and that's happening at places right now, at this very moment in real time around the world. And Paul is writing a letter to these people, encouraging them, and not once do we see Paul saying that he's praying for them to be removed from these circumstances. Think about that. How often when we have a weed in our life, do we pray, God, just remove that person from my life? I know I've done that. And Paul, when he writes these letters, is saying, I'm not praying for you to be removed. I'm praying that you would persevere. In fact, you'll find that in these times of challenge, maybe your times of greatest growth in your life. If you've ever had a challenging moment with someone, maybe remember this parable and somehow be comforted by this idea that weeds are there and they're not going to go away. We've just got to learn to deal with it. And for me, that's a, a, a comforting thing to remember because Jesus says we're in this world and we're meant to grow. And we're meant to produce good things. I noticed that um, in this passage that that when the owner surveys this whole situation, that it wasn't the job of the wheat or the workers to give their time pulling up the weeds. Think about that. The workers say, well, you know, we got weeds growing here. This is a situation we got to take care of. And the owner's like, no, just let it go. Just let it happen, let them grow together and we'll take care of it later. And I don't know if you remember the reason why, but the remember, the reason why in the passage is, the owner says, if you pull up the weeds now, you're gonna pull up some good things with it too. And we want those things to grow and produce as much as they can. He wanted to save every grain of wheat that he could. And he knew that if they were removed, he was going to damage good things that were growing in there. Now this is the part of the the, This parable that I struggle with the most because I grew up with a dad as a gardener. We had a huge garden in our yard, bigger than any garden I've ever seen anybody have in their house. It was so big it was obnoxious. And I hated it because I had to work it all summer. And my dad would tell me all these things and he knew so much about planting things and growing things and when to water and how to plant them and all that. And I had to go out and till this field many times by hand. And so I grew up doing this. And all my friends were out playing. Now, this was in the 70s when people actually played with each other, you know? And they weren't riding around their bikes doing this. Like, we actually played, each, played with each other, and that was when Star Wars came out. So those are really good days, okay? Yeah. And, you know, I'm excited about the new Star Wars movie, too. And, Yeah. And I know we sang this song about Jesus coming soon, and I, I do hope he comes soon, but I do hope I can see the Star Wars movie first. Because yeah. I'm excited about the Star Wars movie, and I'm getting off track. But so I was out there, and all my friends were playing and riding bikes and doing all this stuff. And I was out in this garden sweating and working and toiling. And here's what I know about gardening. Here's what I was taught when you would garden, is if you see a weed, you take care of it right away, right? I mean, that's one of the first rules of gardening. Even if you don't know anything about gardening, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like if you're planting things, you see good things growing, you want, if you see a weed, you want to get it out of there, because that weed is taking up space, it's taking up nutrients, it's taking up sunlight, all this. And the roots can grow, go down and, and cause havoc in, in your garden. But, but in this passage, we don't see this. We see the master saying, just wait. Just wait. And there are many times that I've seen injustice, the presence of sin or untruth, and I've wanted, I felt like it was my job to make it right. And I've struggled with this as I've thought about this passage because I've thought about, you know, all the time I've spent trying to make things right. You know, have you ever seen somebody post something online and you believe it totally goes against your faith or maybe just a belief that you have and then you go and you post kind of a retraction or an opposite argument? A lot of us have done this, I know. And then have you ever found yourself into this online debate with people and then it starts spiraling and getting worse and you find yourself thinking about it And you get notifications maybe when something comes up and you're defending your beliefs and you find your blood pressure maybe raising a little bit. And you find yourself more and more spending your time consumed by thinking about how can I change this person's mind and then maybe other people get in. And, you know, if it gets really bad, you start calling each other names and all this stuff. And have you ever, I wondered if anybody here has ever changed anyone's mind in an online forum before. Have you ever changed anyone's mind before? I thought about that. I would say the chances of changing someone's mind online are about one in a million. I know what some of you are thinking. So you're saying there's a chance, (laughs) right? Think about all the time we spent trying to change people's mind. And while I struggle with this parable and still trying to figure it out, honestly, I'm still wrestling with all the ramifications of my own life. This parable, here's one thing that I've taken away from me that's part of my story. Is that there are some times when you just have to let the weeds grow. You just have to focus on what God has you to focus on. And I think for all of us, we have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and know when those moments are. But I believe that what Jesus is saying is there's sometimes where you can't fix the problem. You just have to let it go. Now as world changers, at Indiana Wesleyan, aren't we supposed to go out and rid the world of sin? Isn't it our job to go out and to make a difference in the world? And here's what I've learned, is I don't think our job is to rid the world of sin. I think that's God's job. I think our job is to lift up Jesus and to be fully surrendered to him, and to be fully in love with him, and to find that love pouring out to everyone around us. We have truth, we have our convictions, we know as followers of Jesus, as we get closer, and we know what's right and wrong. But do we spend so much of our time trying to fix things that we weren't meant to fix? All the great leaders I know, as I've thought about them, as I've reflected on this passage and what it means for me as a leader, thought about great leaders I know and where they spend their time, and they don't spend their time trying to rebut every bit of untruth that comes out about them or about their faith or about Christianity or about Jesus. Now, there are some times we need to do that. I'm not saying we don't just totally abandon this, but I'm saying, are we spending our time doing what we need to do and what God designed us to do. I can't remember when it was. Maybe it was even earlier this year. I think you've heard of this movie, 50 Shades of Grave. You heard of this movie, right? Remember this movie? Did you see it? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) I haven't seen this movie. I'll never see this movie. But I almost really got tired of going online on social media because it seemed like everybody had an opinion about this movie. Do you remember this? Like everything that came up was like 50 shades of gray how bad it was why you shouldn't watch it why I'm going to talk about this movie and what you need to know about this movie but don't watch it and all these things came up and it was funny to me because I thought I was fascinated by these the people that spent so much time talking about this movie who wanted to lessen the publicity of this movie but we're giving it publicity now how's that work And I'm sure for them, they thought, okay, I did the right thing today. I wrote my thing about Fifty Shades of Grey, and I checked it off, and I did my Christian duty. Now, do we need to speak up against things that are wrong in this world? Yes. But what I find ironic about the whole deal is that I think probably Christians did more to promote Fifty Shades of Grey than the movie company did. And I think we need to examine the ways that we respond in this world When we see things that are wrong. Now God calls us to take action. But again, I believe our job is to lift up Jesus. What if we spent our life lifting up Jesus to the world? What if we allowed our lives to be transformed so much that people only saw Jesus in us? What would happen if we were known more for our love for God than anything else? And there wasn't even a close second. I think one of the reasons it's easy for us to be weed pullers, sometimes, at least for me, is because it's something to do. I feel like I can do something to make a difference. And you know, being and doing are pretty different things. What's it like to to exist in a relationship with God? where you're just in love with him and responding to his promptings of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe for a lot of us, our love for God has grown cold, but we find ourselves still doing the work maybe that we weren't meant to do. You know, in our American society, man, we're all do, 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 do. What does it like to just be and be in love? and be moved by that love with compassion in this world and to lift up Jesus. You know, as I've traveled across the country, I've been so encouraged and I think one of my main convictions has been that as I've viewed my own life in light of this parable, and my story has been the reason I think maybe that I've been so negative and I think a lot of Christians maybe are so pessimistic, is because we've tried to do the right thing the wrong way. We see the sin in this world. You know, when I think about this summer when the Supreme Court ruled on marriage, my heart was so broken by that. And one of my first questions is, what do I do about this? What do I do about things that I see in this world that don't line up with the truth of scripture? And I've learned that our response is not to do nothing. But our response is to be what God wants us to do when he wants us to do it. And I think maybe some of the reason that we might be so pessimistic is because it seems like things are getting worse and we're looking at the wrong things. Are you seeing the good things that God is doing in this world? And are you sensing God's prompting to be a part of that? What's incredible about this experience here as a student is that you get to be maybe further called and confirmed in the things that you're meant to do in this world as a kingdom worker you know jesus says earlier in a couple chapters he says the kingdom of god has been forcefully advancing what does that mean to be a part of kingdom work that is forcefully advancing in this world now this isn't a rhetorical question do you believe that God's power and kingdom are greater than any force in this earth, yes or no? Let's try again. Do you believe that God's power and kingdom are greater than any force on this earth, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Do you believe that his power is greater than any power of darkness that our enemy Satan can muster against you, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Do you believe that greater is he that is in us than he is in the world, yes or no? Yes. Then our job is to live that truth, that God's power is greater, that God can do miraculous things as we grow in Him. I'd love to pray for you today. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here to share your word. To think about your truth in this parable that still, even today, causes me to have so many questions about how to live in light of your truth. but God, today, as we think about your word, as we think about this parable, as we think about this challenge to be kingdom workers and not kingdom weeders, would you help us to live this out, to wrestle through it, and to be the people you've called us to be so that this world could know the love that you have, the amazing grace that you show for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, it's been great being with you. You're dismissed.